another playoff edition of the Salt City Hoops podcast. The Jazz are up two to one, two games to one in their series with the Oklahoma City Thunder. And game four is some indeterminate number of hours away, depending on when you're listening to this. Uh, And here to talk about game four with me is Ken Clayton, a guy who has been a Jazz fan long enough that he remembers rookie Carl Malone and that he had to chase Pace Mannion around the Salt Palace for his promotional six-pack of Cokes. Um, uh, Fred Roberts. Ah, oh, Fred Roberts. Dang it. But at any rate, Ken, how you doing? I'm doing I'm doing well. Uh, we're Since you're going back into the Wayback Machine, uh, today would be the anniversary, the 34-year anniversary of the first playoff triple-double the Jazz ever had. Ricky Green in a loss on the road at Denver. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. I, I thought it was interesting since you brought it up. Um, this is Dan Clayton, by the way. I forgot to mention that because I'm super organized tonight. Um, I knew who you were. Okay. It's, okay. <laughs> it's nice to meet you. Um, <laughs> it, you know, it was interesting last night since you brought up the triple-double. Um, you know, Ricky Rubio with 26 points, 11 rebounds, 10 assists. Um, there were a lot of parallels, actually, between Ricky's and the previous... Um, jazz playoff triple-double that happened 17 years earlier. Um, the most recent one, I should say, that happened 17 years earlier. Um, they were both guards. They were both point guards. Um, they were both in games that put the Jazz up two games to one in a first-round series. Um, of course, that one was in 2001 when being up two to one in a first-round series meant you were at the brink of advancing so it was just interesting it was uh you know quite an accomplishment by by rick to not only have the first jazz triple double in 10 years but to do it in the postseason and become the first guy since uh since his teammate's daddy yes um and and i I think you probably saw my tweet last night too but but all three of them were very uh very all three by point guards all three uh triple doubles in jazz history all three separated by 17 years each time. Didn't so, uh, didn't Carl have one? Oh no, you know what? I not think, in the playoffs. Yeah, I think when I was looking at Carl's, because um, he had one in May of 1999, um, but that was that was the lockout year. So even though it looked like a playoff date, it it was not. And I happened to not be in the country, so I would have had no personal recollection of that one. Um, and, and also I want to correct you cause I love to correct you. Oh, when correct I can. away. Sure. Uh, the jazz, the one when Stockton got the triple double was also a loss. They, they had won both games in Salt Lake city and they lost game three in Dallas by three points. Oh, well, I'm glad that I only, that I didn't tweet that or write it into an article yeah. that I only spoke it for the people of this podcast to believe for the 30 seconds between my saying it and you're correcting it. So, um, consider the record corrected. Um, oh, yeah, this was the first playoff triple-double in a win. But uh, other than that, you know, there were a lot of fun connections, point guards, and and 17 years between each one. They both It was April 22nd, 1984, April 28th, 2001, and April 21st, 2018. Well, and how about just the coolness of guy number one being, you know, eight rows in or whatever he was when guy number two, um, you know, dropped 26, 11 and 10 on the thunder. That was, that was cool that, um, stock was in attendance for that. And, uh, and also that the jazz finally broke the John Stockton curse because I think they were Owen two this season, um, with the legendary point guard in attendance until last night. So got that monkey off. Well, their back. Also, 
Yeah. Also, since it was Ricky Green and Ricky Rubio, I'm going to, from now on, I think we should call John Ricky Stockton. Okay. Just keep it all. Yeah. Or we can just call it like a Rickle double. <laughs> Let's not go there. Let's okay. just stop. <laughs> Let's get back to our, what we actually plan to speak about. But this is so good. Um, what we were going to talk about was, well, actually you mentioned something interesting when you and I jumped on and started talking. Um, six game fours are in the books in the NBA and two remain. This is true. Uh, what's been your biggest surprise out of those, uh, out of the series? Well, and out of the series in general, not out of the game four specifically. Oh, I mean, without a doubt, new Orleans, I had, I had yeah. Portland not only winning, but winning handily. Um, and, and I knew when I made that prediction that obviously they weren't going to have any way to deal with, um, Anthony Davis, but I, but I also didn't think that New Orleans was going to be quite as capable of just completely shutting down um, CJ and particularly Dame. I mean, Damian Lillard had a had a rough, rough go of it in that series. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's yeah. As soon as I asked the question, I thought, well, what other surprise could there be? Um, but yeah, I didn't really have anybody winning or losing. I, you know, I, I avoid those predictions because I just I, I end up being wrong far too often. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I, I certainly never would have in a hundred years expected that uh, in New Orleans winning maybe, but with how Davis has been playing. But you know, certainly not a sweep when you're uh, starting on the road and and that that's just you know crazy. Yeah. Um. Yeah, for sure. And, and I'm with you. I, I actually hate the whole prediction thing too, except that, uh, except that I have an apple fritter bet with, uh, with my buddy Martin. But anyway, let's talk about the Jazz's game four. It's coming up tomorrow. And, you know, it's funny because before every game, it seems like the next game is the most important game in the history of at least the season's Jazz. Um, you know, because it certainly felt like Game Three was going to be pivotal with the Jazz and Thunder knotted up at one apiece, and uh, Utah got the advantage and now has the inside lane, as it were. Um, but suddenly, Game Four looms just as large because, on the one hand, it could put the Jazz um, a win away from advancing. On the other hand, if they lose, then they're right back to where they started, with you know needing to steal home court from the Thunder in a much shorter series. It would be, it would essentially become best of three. So tomorrow is, uh, is pretty big stuff. Yeah. It's, uh, it's always like that. You, you start out, you know, you, you want to get that, you want to get the split and then you think you're in the driver's seat and statistically you are probably. Um, but then, you know, then, you know, you have to really, to put the odds really in your favor, you got to take care of home court. And then even when you do that, as often happens, when you when you lose that game five, um, and let's hope that doesn't happen, but that often happens because you go back on the road and, and you win that, then you realize game six is kind of a gut check because if you lose game six, I mean if you don't win game six, which you which you ought to do, but if you don't, then you're back in the hot seat again going into game seven. So it's it's you know nothing's over till it's over. Uh, very very few sweeps. Yeah, you know we just talked about the Pelicans, but that doesn't happen real often. Uh, so it's going to be, it is going to be gut check time. I do expect a, a stronger game from OKC, but, uh, and, and I'm sure we'll drill into that a little more, but, uh, you know, just statistically. And I think you, uh, I think we were going to talk about this, the, the stats I tweeted last night, jazz all time, historically, uh, you know, when they're at home for game three, uh, 21 and seven, when they're at home for a game four, 
12 and 15. Yeah. So it really does flip. It really does flip the math. There is one more game three than game four just because of the uh, because they played last night in a game yeah. three and they haven't yet played in the game four this year. So it it, it flips the math. And I and I think this is just my opinion. And I put this out there last night too. But I'm sure not not all of our listeners uh, follow me. Um, I think there's just a big emotion in a game one and a game three, either the start of the series overall or the first game of the series uh, at that location, like we saw last night in, in Salt Lake. And I think it's easier for the home team to pick that one up. And then, you know, the other team comes back with some adjustments. There's a same, there's a similar uh, stat between game one and game two when the Jazz are at home. They're more successful at winning the game one than they have been at winning the game two. More successful at winning the game three than they have been at winning the game four. So they've just got to guard against a letdown. Um, I can't imagine. I mean, it's not like they're going to be surprised like a like a Atlanta coming in let down. Not that kind of a letdown. Mm-hmm. But you just do expect that OKC is going to come in um, with their backs not against the wall, but closer to the wall <laughs> than they would like. Wall adjacent. Yes. Um, no, it's a good point. And and um, you know the the thing with the game for you know looking at game three and game four. Um, record for the jazz historically is interesting you also figure that in those you know if you're hosting games three and four of a playoff series then in most cases that makes you the underdog just naturally right it means you're the underseed it means you're looking up at the other team's record um obviously not the case this year because we're talking about two teams with identical records but then a the you know the fact that the jazz have the same phenomenon um in games one and two when they host those and the fact that you know around the league this is not you know like it's pretty consistent around the league this phenomenon you're talking about it it obviously speaks to the fact that there's some magic in that first playoff game that fades and then it just comes down to playing basketball and um you know i felt like the jazz played well um in other words i i don't think there was anything fake or hokey about their game three win i think that they executed their game plan they had a couple of stretches where they needed to settle down and refocus but for the most part i didn't feel like you know they're gonna get caught when that magic is gone but uh but obviously okc is gonna be a lot more ready tomorrow night at you know 8 30 mountain time when when the ball goes up in the air yeah, and and this isn't magic, but I was going to point out one thing. You and I have talked. I don't think on a on a podcast, but offline, we've talked about how we aren't, or or I'm not. It's still, I've not been a huge huge fan of the city uniforms. Um, I love the floor. I think it's gorgeous. But man, last night was just an incredible atmosphere visually, and and I don't think the the visual aspect really necessarily played into the win. But man, it was just an awesome look to the whole arena with the, with the fans, most of them wearing the t-shirts, not Jerry Sloan, not John Stockton, but most of them, <laughs> in fact, not Memo Curry either. I, I saw that picture of him. He didn't put it on either, but yeah, it was just a, an incredible visual. Um, and a lot, you know, the pictures of Rubio that have been out there quite a bit today with, with the uniform, with the, with a sea of red behind him, it looked pretty awesome. Uh, I don't, my personal opinion is I don't like the whiteouts nearly as much, but that's what I think they're going to have tomorrow. Again, this isn't part of the magic that actually causes the wins and losses, but it it was a it was a cool look last night. Yeah, I mean, you know, hey, if if we wanna if we wanna suspend disbelief for a minute, there there's a chance that it, you know, that was the. I, I will say this: I don't think I can 
think of an of a single other team that has made their viewing public their their in arena fans part of the city um the city uniform kind of design and costume as it were like um you know i i think that it might have increased the excitement level increased the the ethereal whatever that uh that we talk about when we talk about the intensity of the playoff atmosphere but you're right i mean at the end of the day it's you know who got defensive stops who executed their offense who who made shots um now my just to like be the guy who does the thing and ruins everything for everybody um i will (laughs) say i will say my one complaint about the t-shirt um color scheme last night is my same is the same thing that I keep saying about um, that color scheme overall, which I just feel like there's too much yellow, too much red, not enough orange. I don't think when people think about Southern Utah, they think of bright yellow or you or university of Utah red. And I'm going to probably learn to deal with that because I do think that that the whole thing together looks cool. And I think the, the uniforms themselves have really grown on me because when a player's, you know, kind of dancing around and flitting through traffic in the paint, it literally, like, I think it like very literally mimics flames and just makes the Jersey come alive in a really cool way. So I'll, yeah. I'll probably deal with the, with the spectrum thing that keeps bugging me. Yeah. And the, and the part, the part of the spectrum that bothers me, honestly, is the bottom part of the Jersey where it gets so dark. That's, what I'm that's saying, the part. Yeah. yeah. That's the part I'm not in love with. And then the, and then not, it not being a gradient, but there being lines, but you know, okay. Enough about the city jerseys probably. <laughs> um, we are really good at staying on topic today. <laughs> <laughs> um, what we were going to talk about and, and you sort of halfway took us there. Um, with your comments about games three and game four, we were going to talk about the the things that maybe bode well for Utah tomorrow evening um, or or this evening if uh, if you the listener happen to be <laughs> happen to be catching this at some point on Monday um, and the things that, that yeah and the things that don't bode so well for the Utah Jazz in game four um, I don't know should we should we start with the harsh dose of reality and and talk about since since we already talked about game four versus game three and the magic wearing off should we just go to town with some some things that might be areas of concern sure go to take us to town um all right let's go to town well i think you know aside from what you mentioned and and aside from a bunch of thunder related factors which you know obviously the thunder are going to um, come out with some kind of a of a focused plan, and obviously, you know, we need to talk about how once again their big three, for the most part, failed to show up in a fourth quarter, and that's probably statistically bound to not keep happening. I think the biggest thing from the Utah side of the fence is um, <clears throat> just how much regression may occur for for players who, you know. Who, who frankly are do a little statistical regression and and uh you know rubio as well as he played last night um you know it still wasn't a terribly efficient night it was you know 26 points on 18 shots <clears throat> but it was on 9 of 18 shooting so still not great and and even that night brought his true shooting for the playoffs up to 517 which is you know a hair below league average and basically right back to his season average. 
So, I, I, you know, I don't know if that means that Ricky Rubio is due a statistical regression or maybe last night was his statistical progression to the mean because he had um, been a little inefficient in games one and two. But I, I guess the broader point here is that I don't think the Jazz can bank on 26 points from Ricky Rubio no. tomorrow night. And so that makes me wonder what they'll bank on. I... Well, I imagine they're going to bank on their game plan, which I assume is, you know, give or take uh, the, the same plus any adjustments they make between games to, in any series. But I think that the focus, and we already saw this like half an hour after the game, Russell Re- Westbrook going on and saying he was going to shut down Ricky Rubio. That wasn't going to happen again. I guarantee is, that. Is that how he said uh, it? He, well, that's something like what he said. Yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't have the quote right in front of me, although I'm sure that I do, I do know there was one key word that he used. No, but he, uh, to me, that's already a little bit of a win because I don't expect Rubio to go for a triple double. I don't expect him to make, you know, hit 26 tomorrow, but he's got, he's got at least one guy's focus and probably more than one guy. I mean, you look at some of those plays, especially later in the game, what did he have? He had 19 in the first half. They were very much keying on him in the second half because I mean, he only has seven points in the second half. That's not exactly uh, setting the world on fire, but they were keying on him and it was leaving other guys open that had not been open earlier in the series. Joe Ingles is, is the big one. Um, there were times when, uh, you know, Ricky would, Ricky would start to drive and he'd pull three guys. And there were some plays I saw. I don't want to give credit to, well, I, I know, I think both of them had them, but David Locke and, and, uh, Andy Larson both had some examples of, of plays where um, both Donovan Mitchell and Joe Ingles were wide open behind the three-point line because mm-hmm. everybody was focused on Ricky Rubio. So to the extent that the players still have that in their heads and kind of get you know too focused on him when he probably won't have as good a game in the next game just because that was such a spectacular one or, or a fairly spectacular one to your point um good that means some, some other guys are going to be more open than they were in games one and two yeah I, I, that was exactly my thought when i heard russell's guarantee um or when yeah. i or when i didn't hear it because nba tv obviously had to bleep it out on seven second delay <laughs> so <laughs> i actually i heard the i guarantee it part and then i had to ask around and find out what he had actually guaranteed um once I had I ascertained, I actually that. don't know what he said. I just know that you abbreviate S star star star. I, yes, I, he just said I'm going to shut that stuff down. Only yeah, stuff might have rhymed it, with something else. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah. So anyway, once I had ascertained what what Westbrook actually said, you know, my first thought was, um, and I know that this is veering into the other lane of what might bode well for the Jazz in Game Four. Um, my first thought was like, hey man, go ahead. Because first of all, Russell Westbrook, as as special as he is in a lot of ways, he does rate by most defensive metrics as one of the worst defensive starting point guards in the league. Right. Um, like bottom five bad in terms of defense from a starting point guard in the NBA. Um, and secondly, um, <clears throat> you know, if he wants to go out and spend the night in Ricky Rubio's jockstrap 25 feet from the basket, then, you know, Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors might finally have some open space to roll into. And that's something that they haven't had a lot in this series. 
Um, you know, last night Rudy was six for eight. Derek was four for five. So they're doing great things when they actually get the basketball down low, but they just haven't really been able to um, be free down there because of the because of the guys sagging off of Ricky and that sort of thing. So like, hey, Russ, if you want to give your college best to to sticking to Ricky Rubio like white on rice um, or like yellow on rice since Ricky's a Spaniard and I don't know paella joke that was that was ill-formed Sa- saffron joke yeah yes. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll find the edit button for that one um <laughs> no but uh um you know that's just to your point that's going to be good news for somebody whether that means right. it's good news for donovan and joe ingles as shooters whether that means it's good news for the bigs um i'm sure the jazz heard that particular guarantee and started licking their chops well, the other point that somebody made today, and I, I forget who this one was, is that is some of Ricky's progression um, not just you know a hot night, but um, he has not played in the playoffs before. And from oh, whoever tweeted this said, from their understanding of of Euro League, you don't play in series. And the more a guy like that with a with a with a basketball IQ goes through a series, the more he's going to learn. And maybe that's what we're seeing is him for the first time playing the same team three nights, four nights, five nights in a row. Um, and maybe that's why he's getting better at finding seams and angles that he didn't have uh, available to him. Well, they were available to him, but he, he couldn't take advantage of in game one because he hadn't really found them yet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'd just say like, you know, Ricky's season on the macro um, is that's kind of, that's kind of the story of his season. I think He's such a conscientious guy in terms of the impact he's having on the team that um, that for a long time it really bothered him to um, to feel like he was taking over a possession, especially when he was having those five for fifteen nights. And all along, Quinn kept saying, "You know, we need Ricky to be aggressive. We need him to put pressure on the defense. It doesn't matter if the shots go in or not. Certainly, they would prefer that they go in, but right. uh, but a." a a point guard who puts pressure on the defense is um, there's value in that, whether or not the shots are dropping. And I think obviously Ricky started to internalize that message at some point and started to realize that he could apply that kind of pressure um, and that there would be nights that that little, you know, left, you know, right to left one foot floater was going to drop. And there were nights that it wasn't going to drop, but at least teams weren't going to feel like they could just, watch him from the paint and uh and you know send two guys with rudy and fave on every single pick and roll dive so i think in a lot of ways what you're describing um you know in this playoff atmosphere is kind of a microcosm too of just the way his year has gone yeah yeah for sure um all right well we tried to we tried to talk about something that was concerning for tomorrow night and instead we wound up talking about how great Ricky Rubio has been. <laughs> so is there anything else that you look at for, for game four and you're like, Oh, the jazz should, uh, the jazz should be worried about that. Um, I don't know about worried, but I'll be surprised if, uh, Steven Adams is restricted as much in his minutes again, if he finds himself in foul trouble, combination of things, uh, maybe he'll be a little more cautious the third game in a row. Mm-hmm. Maybe he'll get a little kinder whistle in that third game. Um, you know, the team's lobby, <laughs> to the league office and and, uh you know i don't think that in general his fouls have been unfair to him uh, the ones that have been called but uh 
you know, I, I just wouldn't expect that we're only going to see 22 minutes, wasn't it, last night or something like that? 26 minutes last night, and I don't remember what it was the game before Here, um, I've, Steven uh, Adams. I've got it, 26-24 last night, um, and on game two, he had 22 minutes exactly. That's impressive, yeah. actually. There should be some sort of prize for hitting a minute mark exactly on the 0-0. Zero, zero. Oh, yeah. I don't know why you would want a prize for that, but okay. Yeah, like an apple fritter or some saffron yeah. ice or something. Well, there you go. <laughs> so I, I, probably they're going to deal with him a little more than they did in game two and game three. But uh, I, I don't think that's a, a complete game changer. I mean, the game changers are going to be, you know, does Paul George start hitting like crazy like he did in game one? Um, Carmelo Anthony last night, I thought he was having a nice game. And at the end of the game, yeah, 6 for 10, 14 is nice. But in my head, it felt like more than that at least in the early stages of the game and, and it probably was more just weighted in the early stages of the game but mm-hmm. yeah i mean that that's not i mean getting given carmelo 14 is not if we could guarantee that was going to happen no and no more than that that we'd we'd probably be pretty happy with that so uh that that's probably my biggest other one what about you you know Stephen adams yeah. playing potentially more minutes but what else what else do you have well Stephen adams playing more minutes cory brewer was in foul trouble in game three yeah. and that was a big deal as well because um you know aside from adams and paul george cory brewer is really the only other plus defender on that okc roster so him being limited was probably as big a deal just because then you have one less body that you can confidently throw in front of whether it's Donovan Mitchell or he also had uh, he had Rubio quite a bit, Brewer did. So, you know, um, that had an impact. Um, you know, I, I don't know that the Jazz are terribly afraid of Carmelo going off in this series. Um, no. And those, are, those could prove famous last words because, you know, hey, Carmelo at his peak was maybe one of the most three unguardable players in the world, um, you know, from an offensive standpoint. So like he certainly has the capability to, to make those particular words look stupid, but I just, I I think that the jazz would be fine with him. He's basically only used in their offense now as a spot up shooter. And I think the jazz would kind of be fine if, you know, if he wants to take a bunch of 18 footers all night, they'll live with that. And, and even if they lose game four because a bunch of Carmelo 18-footers drop, I think that's a, that's a scenario where you tip your cap and you say, okay, hey, our game plan worked and you just played the trump card. Um, no. to, you know, to me, a lot of it is just, it, it's just Paul George related. And Paul didn't even have a bad night uh, in game three. You know what I mean? He had, he was seven, or, seven of 16 for 23 points. He was three for eight from three point land. So, you know, still a, a pretty solid percentage there. Like he wasn't bad. He wasn't bad. He just, uh, you know, came up short a bunch late, you know, after those first few minutes of the fourth quarter, OKC couldn't get any of their big three guys um, going in the, in the latter half of that fourth quarter. Yeah, he well, he probably only had, I want to say, in the 17 range up until the last few minutes of the game because he did have a little run at some point in the fourth where he that was he that hit, was he hit two fourth. or three shots. I think that yeah. was early fourth. Oh, was it early early fourth? Okay. Yeah, I, I you know, should be able and, to tell you. And, and one more thing that again could be a caution, but I'm going to turn it around, um, is that uh, you know the Jazz are going to have to deal with figure out how to deal with the uh the the five out game that was thrown at him in the first quarter that said 
I think they already figured that out a bit by the end of the game. When the when the Thunder went back to it in the second half, it wasn't nearly successful for them. And I think that you know they probably will be chat, they will have chatted about that today in practice again and say okay, let's not be surprised by this like they were in the first quarter of yesterday's game. Right, for sure. Um, no, they looked they looked pretty um, perplexed by that. Rudy in particular, and Quinn Snyder even talked about that in the post game. Um, and it's not very often that that we talk about rudy um not knowing how to defend something yeah exactly or or just ha- him having to kind of crack a nut defensively but yeah to answer your other question paul george had 17 points in the first three minutes of the fourth seven points in the first three minutes of the fourth quarter and in the remaining nine minutes of the fourth quarter he had a grand total of zero which is the yeah. same total as anthony and Adams and Westbrook and Patrick Pat. I mean, they just, they didn't have a lot going in, uh, in that final frame outside of weirdly, like Raymond Felton had eight points in the fourth quarter that he was the only guy keeping OKC halfway connected. Um, which brings me actually to the, the one other point I'd make, and then we can, we can talk about some things that might be positive signs. Um, you know, Utah's bench minutes in the series have been, pretty pretty tenuous um yeah and you know dante has had like a good minute or two at a time and then has gone back to looking like a lost deer um jay crowder is is playing great and looks like he's you know making a lot of the right reads on defense and that sort of thing but can't make a shot and then jonas jerebko um has had good moments and bad moments on both sides of the floor i mean that's just Royce O'Neal, another guy like the Jazz probably need to get something a little bit more from their bench so that when it is the Raymond Felton show and the Alex Sabrina show and the Patrick Patterson show instead of the big three and Steven Adams show, they have a little more to show for that on the scoreboard than than they've been getting. Yeah, no, I totally agree. There, there's been a lack there. There have been some minutes at game two. I think Jarebko played a little better than one and three. Uh, O'Neal had some has had some moments defensively, but he usually does. Um, did you see that elbow that he uh, he took yesterday in the as Ricky put up the buzzer beater? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I hadn't noticed it during the game until somebody posted a link on it. Um, you know, yeah, it's been it's been uh, hit and miss, mostly miss on the bench. So any contributions they can manage from the bench will make it that much easier but you know that's probably a little bit for a reason i mean maybe uh you know there's a reason those guys are playing off the bench and, and maybe okc is just well prepared for them but the you know the starters have certainly last night it's uh you go down the plus minus plus 26 plus 25 plus 19 plus 22 plus 15 and then you hit the bench and you're all minuses except for a plus two from o'neill yeah so you definitely would like to see some of that flip but uh i think instead I think the the bench just got fewer minutes than they had because I think Quinn could see that and he said, "Let's keep the starters in. There's there's no reason to mess with this." Conversely, by the way, um, if you look at OKC's plus minus minus twenty for Carmelo, minus twenty for Corey Brewer, minus thirteen for yeah. Paul George, minus two for Stephen Adams, but he couldn't stay on the floor, and then right. minus twenty five for Russ, which is which is why. Like, let's use that as a segue to talk about Russ for a few minutes because I think if the Jazz were paying attention to Russell's 
podium interview last night or even Billy Donovan's podium interview last night, they were they were probably pretty giddy with delight because I, I don't think that those two under, I, before the series, I made a comment a, a bunch of different times to different people that would ask why I was optimistic about OKC as a jazz opponent. Um, and one of the things I said is, you know, OKC is pretty, they, they have some flaws that they know about and that they have tried to kind of manage through over the course of a season. And as they've brought this, this weird roster of, of somewhat redundant stars together. Um, but they also have some flaws that they don't seem to really know about. There are some things that they're just painfully unself-aware about. And, you know, when I heard first Billy Donovan and then Russell Westbrook again say, because he made similar comments after game two, when he talked about carving up the jazz defense, (laughs) um, and then, and then last night he just again talked about how they're they've, they're gonna make Rudy Gobert pay because he's just sitting under the rim, and it's like that's not what's happening, Russell Westbrook. That's not what the Jazz are doing. That's not what they're scheming for. What they're scheming for is to dare you to take pull up shots, which you're doing to the tune of five for seventeen in game three. In game two, Russell was seven for nineteen. Um, it it's like. I guess what I'm saying is that I think the ch- the likelihood of Russell and the Thunder solving for the Jazz's defense feels pretty low to me right now, given that it doesn't really seem like they know what it is they're solving for. Like they they seem to, he seems pretty detached from reality in terms of what is happening, and and um, you know he he came right out and said like no I'm getting what I want I just I just need the shots to go down, and I think if the Jazz hear that they'll say. Help yourself, Mr. Westbrook. Yeah. No, and I think, yeah, I mean, the word I think you used before we started was even delusional. Um, he has not looked like a, a take charge. I'm going to, you know, impose my will on this game. Or not, not even as far as his success, but he hasn't even looked like he's wanted to or tried mm-hmm. in this series. And that includes game one. I mean, game one was a, was a good-sized thunder win because Paul George – was hitting on all cylinders. Um, right. Russ was 10 for 25 in that one. Yeah. And, and he scored 29 points, but, but on 10 for 25, you take 25 mm-hmm. shots to, to make 29 points, more power to you. We'll let you <laughs> please shoot more so that Paul George guy doesn't get to. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I honestly think, and I think that the ESPN guys even mentioned that last night, he really hasn't put his signature on game one or game two. And then toward the end of the game, they said, or game three. Yeah. Um, and so at some point that's not just, he hasn't put his signature on it. It's the jazz haven't let him put his signature on it. They've given him a little bit what they want to give him. And to this point, he's shown that they're playing money ball the right way. They're, they, 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 their strategy was right to let him take what they're giving him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just this, just this notion that, that he thinks he has, kind of cracked the code of the jazz defense and and it'll all start paying off as soon as those mid-range pull-ups start dropping um has to be music to quinn snyder's ears um right he uh yeah their whole plan the jazz's whole plan is they just don't want to let russell westbrook have the rim whenever he wants it they will give him that shot they will live with him having you know the i think he had 13 assists 
in, uh, yeah, 13 assists in the Thunder's lone win. The Jazz will live with that. They'll, you know, again, that's a tip your cap type situation where you say, okay, they just don't want Russell Westbrook being able to, to get to the paint whenever he desires. And, you know, in that sense, um, not only is Rudy doing a great job of, of deterring him, but obviously that involves a lot of work from the Jazz guards at the point of attack to, you know, fight on screens, channel the right way over screens, ice on some screens, you know, lock and trail, challenge from behind. Like they're, they're throwing a lot of different coverages at him, but basically they're all geared at the same thing, which is, you know, hey, you can go down there if you want, but you're going to have to deal with, with Rudy Gobert, who Russell seems to think is just quote unquote sitting under the rim. So, um, yeah, that'll be, that'll be interesting. That's, that's probably the number one thing I'm most excited to see is, is what Russell means. Well, they're the co number one things I'm excited to see are what does Russell mean by I'm going to shut that crap down with Ricky Rubio. And, and the other one is what does he mean when he says, you know, that he's, that he's carving up the Rudy Gobert led defense. Like, like will, will we see anything different from Russell tomorrow night is probably the most interesting question about game four. Um, on either side of the on either side of the ball, honestly. Yeah, I have no answer for either of those questions because I don't know what he's talking about. I, I don't know that he knows what he's talking about. Um, hey, or Billy, or Billy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, there was an interesting play. It wasn't Russell, but it was the same thing. It was a, it was it was the play between. Well, it was the play right before the the third quarter buzzer beater, and uh, Paul George went over a screen. You know, went over a screen. And Royce O'Neal was behind him and, and went over and, and chased him behind. He had a lane to go closer to the basket, and he stopped dead in his tracks because Gobert was mm-hmm. – I mean, he was 10 feet away, but he was there. Yeah. Stops dead in his tracks enough that Royce got back in front of him, challenged a jumper, which he missed, and then and then we had the Ingles miss, the Gobert rebound, and the, and the Ricky uh, floater three-pointer that yeah. uh, gave him the 14-point lead going into the fourth. But, boy, it was just that that play, I don't think anybody even – well, I wasn't watching a jazz broadcast either, but uh, nobody talked about the Gobert effect. But there was a Gobert effect, and he was 10 feet away. Paul yeah. George just said, uh, no, thank you. I will just uh, take this shot back here. And, and it not also not only did he take a, a tougher shot, the mid-range shot, but it, he hesitated long enough that Royce got right back in front of him. So, you know, the advantage that he had given himself um, – going over the pick was lost yeah no rudy was splendid last night and in fact there's a there's a way to watch game three where pretty much and i and actually i kind of want to do this on some level i probably won't have time to do it before before game four starts but like you could go back and watch stretches of game three and just look at the amount of defensive real estate that rudy gobert is covering which is what makes me chuckle when when russ says he's just sitting under the rim because i mean he'll show out on a side pick and roll and then get back to his man to challenge or he'll, you know, I mean, I realize the jazz are playing kind of that drop coverage contain style on the middle pick and roll. And so maybe that's what Russell means when he says just hanging out under the rim, but Rudy was really splendid last night and, and was, you know, kind of defending, defending every space within, you know, 15 feet of the basket and, and maybe even further out when you talk about side pick and rolls, which the jazz tend to, defend a little more aggressively um real quick here's the here's the billy donovan line wait i had it oh here we go so after the game billy donovan the thunderhead coach was talking about 
um, he, he got a question about Russ taking the pull-up shots and, and getting kind of stuck in the in-between game. And he said, I think he's ex- an exceptional shooter like that. And sometimes you have to take those. So, <laughs> I, you know, it's not just a, a Russell Westbrook held delusion. It's, it's something that, like I say, I'm not sure that the Thunder realize that that's just not their best way to win games in 2018. Um, well, okay. Any other, any other broad thoughts about game four or, or do you want to, do you want to go bold and venture a, a, a prediction, um, outcome wise, or just what you expect from the game? Um, I expect a tighter game. I don't think the jazz will get up to a plus 20 in this game. Was that their highest lead? I think that was it. I think so. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'll be bold since you're going to, well, I guess you're not forcing me like you can do anything to me. Um, but uh, I would, I'm going to stay jazz in a closer one. Let's just go with the old standard Utah by five. Okay. All right. See, that was, that was bolder than I was even asking you to be necessarily. I wasn't trying well, to. Um, I, I, like I say, I don't think they'll get another net like that from, from Ricky Rubio. No. Um, but, you know, it was also Donovan Mitchell's quietest game of the series. So, Maybe they get him a little bit, a little bit more involved um, tomorrow night. You know, I understand why on Saturday they they had things generating from Ricky because good things tended to happen when the ball was in Ricky's hands. But uh, you know, I think on a normal night they might look back to Donovan a little bit more. And and yeah, I, I think I think the Jazz are I think the Jazz are in good shape. They just need to respond to. Um, whatever it is, OKC changes, or in the case of Russell Westbrook's shot selection, maybe doesn't change because maybe they don't detect that anything's wrong with that. So we'll see. Um, all right. Well, that's another one yeah. in the... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Quick, quick, Quickly, I was just going to say, yeah, take 10 points away from Rubio, but but Donovan Mitchell was five or six points below what he'd been producing, and Derek Favors only was 11 and five mm-hmm. in 34 minutes. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, funnel some of the Rubio shots to other guys and you'll be, you know, and fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that's the thing. I mean, and, and you made this point at the top of the podcast when we were talking about, um, <clears throat> you know, how they'll respond to Ricky being shut the stuff down by Russell Westbrook. <laughs> I mean, the way the jazz are built is to figure out where the pressure is and to go away from the pressure. Like, I don't think the jazz are going to be overly concerned about, who takes 18 shots versus 14 shots versus six shots. I think the, I think the ball is going to funnel to, um, you know, the places on the floor and to the guys who OKC leave open and, um, and hopefully those guys make shots or, or like we said earlier, put, you know, find other ways to put pressure on the defense. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, that'll do it for us. This has been another salt city hoops podcast. We'll keep an eye on this series. We'll be back to talk about, um jazz thunder and maybe sometime in the semi near future um other stuff as well we'll we'll leave it at that since it may be another series or it may be a whole other set of questions but uh either way you'll have it right here at saltcityhoops.com